right, welcome back. Episode 50, 50 of the Young Old Heads podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tommy, aka TV Sports Cards, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host Max, aka Cards Max, aka Cards Max, Laura Golden's future husband edition. Max, how are you doing? Stop. Stop. Maybe I have a tiny cross on her, but that's in a joking way because we are very lovable of all people here on the Young Old Heads podcast. We're at episode 50. We're at half a year because we all know 100 months is a year, 100 weeks is a millennium, and 50 makes it half a year. So happy half a year to all those watching. And we got yes. a great show for you tonight. Happy... Uh episode number of how many gold refractor tops chrome cards there are out oh my there God. that is right Other this really is a golden episode numbered out of 50 shout out gold refractors um but max this has been a fun week i uh, i watched the king of collectibles netflix doc with ken golden and was you know a little it wasn't really my thing but i went through it and power watched it just for a content podcast purposes um did you watch it with anyone or did you watch it solo uh i watched you netflix a, showing a little bit with my roommate axel who okay. was not into it didn't really think it was that good of a show just because that's not really the type of show that we watch it was definitely more of like a pawn stars sort of like ken golden's trying to like portray himself as some sort of big baller type of guy that did axel like pick your brain about it uh, Axel's been collecting for a little bit, so it's not like he's okay. he's not totally ignorant to the world of memorabilia and stuff. So it's like, I think the show is definitely made for people who have no idea of the sports memorabilia world, have never heard of Ken Golden and his antics before. Ken Golden is like the whole time going, I'm a big baller. I'm the best. I'm the king. Like no hey, one tops that's, that's me. That's my job. <laughs> yeah. That's my job on my podcast. No and, one else can go after that title. Right. I'm the king of collectibles, not you, Ken. Yeah. Not you, Kenny. You're the king of cards, Max, obviously. Um, but no, there wasn't a ton of cards. It was definitely heavy on the collectible side of things. Really? Uh, yeah, not as much cards as you'd think. There was a kid. There was a couple. The way they went with cards was like they talked about box breaking. They talked about the triple logo, man. And then there was a couple of like, oh, this person won the lottery by winning it, pulling this card out of a pack, you know? So they had a kid who pulled a 2009 Topps Chrome Gold Refractor Steph Curry rookie card when he was growing up, and so he was selling that. I think I heard about that. Yeah, so that was cool. And then the other one was a kid who pulled the Lewis Hamilton Super Auto out of 2020 F1 Topps Chrome. So those were kind of the two, like, standout card things. But no, what was it really? During the valuations of those? Like they, Golden was just like astronomically off in their valuations. Yeah, they were over even like 2020 peak hype. Like this is what this card would have maybe gotten during the absolute pinnacle of card boom time. So the appraisals were a little annoying to me. They were opening up like a flawless case at one point hunting for the triple logo man. And they were like, this auto is appraised at $10,000. And I'm like, no fucking way. How much is your auto worth? Yeah, like Ken Golden, you couldn't even get in the big league set. No, to- Tommy, how much is your auto worth? Oh, my auto is worth zero dollars. I everyone would hate me because my auto is just a little, little scrib. Really? Um, because I get you know because my last name's Demarco, 
and you know when you're doing capital letters you're like in, in script like you're not supposed to like connect them which is like kind of obvious but like okay i do my capital d and i'm gonna do my lowercase e then i do my capital m so i have my fun with the capitals and then it just all works out in a nice italian way yes well we love the italian names uh max and we love the dutch those are dutch <laughs> ancestry as well hey shout out the dutch as well um max what have you been up to though what, what's been going on in your world we haven't we've had a couple guests but this week it's all about what has max been up to what have i been up to what what sort of cards have been on your brain um right now i have cards on my desk right now some of them are new pickups some of them are stuff that i've just been waiting in transit forever um i know a card that's been talked about on the pod for a while as well as a common motif in that cards that have players pictured but don't have the player named on the card. I mean, we've talked about our Wander Franco Tampa Bay Platinum 1 of 1, which I actually broke even on when I auctioned it. I was surprised. I was in Ryan's Discord or whatever, and Ryan's Cards LLC, great guy. And someone in it was like, oh, look at I just won. And I see it, and I'm like, someone pinged me on it, and I'm like, Wow, this this was sold to someone. This uh, someone bought this that is from this Discord when it was at live auction for cards with MC. I'm like, that's just so funny how even when it's live auction, it just kind of comes full circle, and I'm at least in connection with the person who bought it, yeah. which is a little silly and a little fun. Yeah. But connecting that, Tommy, were you saying something? Nope. No. Okay. The Lord catches his man, Hassan Triple Folders T two twelve. From 1912, the shoeless Joe Jackson being slid and caught out, being sliding into third base and being tagged out, tagged out, not caught out. That doesn't make sense. I watch baseball sometimes. Um, so this card, I've talked about it before, so I'll just give the cliff notes. Identified in about 2010 that the base runner that's being tagged out is shoeless Joe Jackson through photo matching. Originally, there's like a lot of controversy in terms of oh does this count as a shoeless joe jackson card i believe i'm gonna go offhand that joe jackson debuted in 1910 i want to say about 1910 so he wasn't in the prominent 1909 to 1911 t206 set he was in a few very very small sets his biggest is i think is one of the american caramel cards and cracker jack the big 1914 set but one of the, I guess, litmus tests that's be that kind of is used in deeming the legitimacy of this card outside of this, whether or not the runner is Joe Jackson, is that the back description of the card specifically kind of goes into the runner being tagged, even though it's unnamed. You know, it says on the back, the runner was out at third and he might well be for the bag was being held down by Abel Harry D. Lord of the Chicago White Sox. They were weeping, gnashing of teeth among the Boston's fans when they found out that Lord's health has been lost, which is a reason why I've forgiven trading him for the Chicago's for pitcher Frank Smith and third baseman Pertel, who cares? And now President Kaminsky of the White Sox says he wouldn't take $25,000 for his new third baseman. But point being, they mention him specifically as a runner, which I think is interesting. It's not just Wander Franco happens to be there on the Tampa Bay Rays card. So at least in, to the vintage heads, this is deemed as a semi-legitimate Joe Jackson card. And at the very least, his most affordable. Yeah, I 
Can you disclose what that card generally goes for in like a range setting? Uh, I can try to, but I'm going to double check on this. Patches his man. So I have, I'm going to do a quick tangent while you can do that research real quick. Okay. Um, I have a similar card that I totally different world of golf. Um, it's a set from 1958 and there's a golfer from South Africa whose name is Gary Player, who's like an iconic golfer whatever not important to the story but the front has a golfer no name just the flag of south africa on the back they mention gary player um don't say anything about anyone else so it's like the front of the card is him and it's considered his rookie card but some people are like well it's not him necessarily it's a caricature sort of but and it's not like ever photo matched or whatever but um similar type of idea with vintage where like sometimes the consistencies that we expect with modern cards don't always apply to, you know, older cards. So when you see something where it's mentioning Joe Jackson, even in like a passing where like he is the runner or whatever, um, I think it's dope. I'm, I'm the hyped about this buy for you. Like, I love this sort of weird shit. I feel like that's the sort of shit that like the lore only is going to go up for. Yeah, exactly. And like, look, I love applying my max hacks on some things. And I try to keep it within reason, but if it's something that like is especially rare or something that I recognize high demand, like my little my little date, Mr. Tyrus, thank you, Cobb, um, then I might be a little bit more aggressive in that just because I recognize like the holding power, both of me having the leverage and selling it, as well as just enjoying it as a piece that is a piece and it is not easily sourceable. So to answer your question, um, I bought this on PWCC for about $1,000. The PWCC listing did not even mention Joe Jackson and which is just entirely coincidental, right? Cause I think I was talking about the card on, on our program. And then I see it at a PWCC weekly auction of all places. And I'm like, Whoa, this is that card. Like, I know this is Lord catches his man. I know because I have that, those five Lord catches his man, those four words imprinted into my brain that that means that is the Joe Jackson card. And I double checked it and I bid okay. And I got it for cheaper than, I thought. Nice. Um, so to answer your question, there were four sales of this card in all of 2022, one of which just being the center panel being cut out. Um, there were three sales in 2021, two in 2020, two in 2019, one in 2018, two in 2017, two in 2016, one in 2015, two in 2014, one in 2012, two in 2011, then a few in 20, 2009. That's just how Vin yeah, I see you're you're confused. Are you on are you on card ladder? Where do you yeah, go? I was thinking on card ladder. Card ladder. Yeah. So that just speaks to the frequency that some of these cards move. I mean, on average, there's two public sales of any grade in a year. And this was the first sale of 2023. And they've fetched about a thousand dollars, I think a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars in like the low to mid grade and then like 3000 ish when higher, but also like some of these listings don't even mention Joe Jackson. Yeah. Like I know when I was looking at heritage and some of these listings, like they specifically mentioned Joe Jacks are thought to be Joe Jackson or something like that. PWCC mentioned zilch of that. Well, here's one thing I forgot to mention about the golden yeah. doc, Max, is that golden really goes into this whole like sell selling point for themselves as they tell the story of a piece and like tell you why you should care about it. And that really like kind of 
you know, got my hands going because I was like, we've talked about how golden and auction sites have a huge issue with not labeling correctly, not properly describing an item, you know, in a way that like really tells you why something's cool. Um, so that's something that Golden was like, we're really good at this. Like, this is what we do at Golden. Like, they had this whole, like, superiority complex throughout the whole documentary that really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, yeah. Where they're Which, like, sorry, sorry, Laura, it's not very good. Oh, also, wait, real quick, just sidebar before I let you keep going yeah. on this. Laura Golden, the whole, like, a subplot of the whole documentary is that she's going to now become Ken Golden. Like, she's the heir apparent to Ken Golden. <laughs> And, like, it ends with her, like, getting offered a job by Ken Golden to, like, come join him. And, obviously, me being me, I look up her LinkedIn to see what she's up to. Absolutely is not working at Golden. And, like, has worked at Golden in college when she was, like, an intern at customer support or something. And now works at, like, some big agency as some, like, entry-level position. So, don't want to spoil anything. But Laura Golden does not work at Golden right now. And... I honestly would not trust her with the cards based on her performance. <laughs> um, speaking on that, I was also digging through the PWCC weekly listings, which by the way, is something that I don't even really do much anymore because the, it's sick cards. You also look confused right now, Tommy. Why is that? I feel like, I thought you, I thought you look at like every PWCC auction. Dude, the most slept on weekly auction house which is built for people that are like really digging deep. And we, and also it's going to bore like 98% of the vintage of the listeners because they aren't vintage heads and I'm not either. I'm just an amateur learning vintage head. Heritage has a weekly auction every Sunday and, or like I was looking through it last night and it was, I actually won a card and it was just like three pages of just all T206 and like granted PWCC has some T206 too, but like, it just wasn't nearly as good. Like the PWCC stuff was cool, but I feel like they have a lot of like 50s and 60s stuff that I just don't care about. But to actually see pre-war stuff auctioned on like a week on a weekly-ish basis was kind of cool. Um, going back to your point though, on the ability for auction houses to identify and like recognize why something's valuable. I was looking at PWCC last night and I outright see like PSA mislabeling a card a vintage card and then pwcc not even recognizing the correction i was a chrissy matthewson 1909 e90-1 when it was act when you know when it was labeled as a 1915 e106 the jefferson burdick classification of cards due decimal system it's a little bit confusing e is usually used for caramels and then the number is usually used for the specific set and distribution like T206 is T tobacco, then 206 is just the specific tobacco set, which is like the white bordered set that has Holmes Wagner and everything like that. But for jump for granted, this was a very old label. So I hope the quality control is better with PSA now than it originally was when they were when they misidentified this. But like the fact that PWCC didn't catch it either. And like I'm looking through completely to sales, I'm like, why can't I find this card? I'm looking through vcp my least favorite service and i'm like why can't i find this card i'm like oh because it's not even this card yeah that's that's the sort of thing where i like as these auction houses are scaling and like clearly doing way more volume than they were doing pre-covid or whatever it's like who's gonna become the best at that sort of stuff because right now i feel like they all kind of 
fall short. And the only thing that was similar is that some of the caramel cards of Chrissy Mathewson misspell his last name and have two T's instead of one T. And this was this, as long as the card that they confused it with is another is a Mathewson card that has two T's. Okay. So this kind, kind, kind of neat. I'm hearing that Heritage has some sneaky auctions. They end strong. They end strong. Not, oh, not, they're not, not they're like steals. Yeah, I feel like that's the sort of thing where it's like everyone who collects collects like ultra vintage pre-war stuff, they know where to buy stuff. They're not look like they know exactly where everyone sells everything. And going back to not to harp on the golden dock too much, but like they very much present themselves as like you can go there with anything related to sports and memorabilia and sell it at the highest price, um, which you know leaves a lot I'm of broken knife. I'm ready to eat. Yeah, you it leaves a lot, a lot to be uh, discussed. And they did a uh, shout out Logan Paul for uh, giving a shout out to Heritage Auctions during the doc. The only time any competition is ever mentioned, they never mention any other auction house or the fact that Golden actually does not sell cards at the absolute highest price. Like Heritage is the one who has the highest, who's had the highest sales of all time. So um, I wish they had a video. I wish part of the doc was Ken Golden seeing that he did not get the Mickey Mantle 9.5. So. Yeah, no. it's not in there. And I know I was reading when the SGC 95 Rosen's greatest find mantle was listed. They were like, yeah, we very specifically chose the grading company and we very specifically chose the auction house that we chose it to consign it with. And it was funny how that was some, as the kids say, subtweets at some other companies. Yeah, exactly. Um, just, just branching off the heritage weekly auction stuff while we're still on this topic. And I'm sorry for anyone that only collects cards after they were born because like I did, you must be in pain. So there is a, so out of the T206, there's Southern leaguers, which is a like specific baseball league down in the South. They're known to be a little bit shorter print and released kind of in their own way, but there's still the white border T206 set. And I want to say there's four real backs advertisements that they can possibly have not accounting blank back and out of those four or so it's piedmont Hin, piedmont old mill brown oh piedmont old mill black hindu and old mill brown and old mill brown essentially doesn't exist so it's pretty much piedmont old mill and hindu and in our easy to digest way piedmont super common old mill black kind of kind of rare kind of uncommon hindu really rare pretty darn rare especially for southern you know people love the southern leaguers so i found this so this psa3 of ernie howard who never made it to the major leagues he was just in the southern league but never made it to major league baseball a psa3 with a crease in it and it was at like four or five hundred bucks and i'm digging through it and i'm like oh this seems like a really like good and fair price for this i'm gonna put some bids maybe i can get it at like 800 and sell for 1500 or something like that just due to the scarcity and i'm like oh i don't know about this play because it's like a little bit risky so i'm watching it in extended bidding also one of the fun parts about heritage is that at least if you're on the east coast extended bidding for the sosa sunday online sports auction is at 11 p.m does that mean it's late night time we're doing some late night bidding and it's 11 o'clock and it's at like four or five hundred and i see it oh wow it's getting bid up to six seven hundred then every 15 minutes, like, boom, 800. And it's like 900. And then like 1,500. And then, because uh, I was watching another lot at the time that I ended up watching, like, wow, this set like 2,000 plus 
already. And this is a card that like entering extended bidding was at like five or 600. And the final sale price was $2,640 for a PSA three with a small crease of Ernie Howard, who has never played major league baseball. This was a Hindu back. I was looking at the PSA set registry, PSA population report. There are seven Ernie Howard's graded with a Hindu back ever, but technically PSA, when they originally started slabbing T206, they did not identify the backs because they thought no one cared. And this was a Hindu back that was not identified in the label. So when factoring that, the label, like this, the set registries are always like a little bit deflated due to some of those early submitted cards. But that's like eight, maybe 10 in the total population, like not many. And just seeing two collect, presumably, right? Because if you're winning it at $2,640 on a weekly auction, not a catalog auction, not a monthly auction, on a weekly auction, those are two diehard collectors just trying to fill it in their case, just trying to get their Hindu back and trying to finish their Southern League set. And that is so sick to me. And to see in real time, just see it like 5X what it was before extended bidding and just enter into like a hardcore bidding war of like, a Southern leaguer that never played major league baseball. That was just so cool. That's awesome. Uh, you should definitely do a funny tweet about that dude never reaching the MLB and like a prospect, did. a prospect bump. You already did that. I did, I did that last night. God damn it. I need to check in on your tweets before we record. <laughs> um, that's a crazy story though. And I love the, like the niche vintage collector competition side of things. Um, I feel like nowadays with rainbows and everything, like everyone can collect a different rainbow. I very rarely see two people trying to do the same one. So yeah, like, building thing with like that. back rarities, it's like that's like the OG rainbow, and that's like part of like what like made the set so revered. And that not only are some cards short printed or some cards like there's 524 full total cards in the set. It's like okay, even if you have all 524, some of these backs you don't even know if they exist in a certain player. You know, some people just like really want to do full back runs or full sets or whatever. And there's just so much life to it that in some cases, even if you throw enough money at it, and if you're like a million, I mean, you need to be a millionaire to finish the set. The Wagner is a million dollar car is a seven figure card minimum. Even if you're a millionaire throwing money at the set, it's like, you're still can complete it or not complete it to whatever extent. And they're probably going to be at auction houses on websites that look like they were made in 2005. Yeah, which just adds to the fun of it. But yeah. all right, Max, we talked about your vintage come ups lately. Yeah. I want to hear I I did not prompt you on this question, okay. but I have been wondering, not a sports analysis podcast, but if this Knicks run has been sparking any uh collect collect thoughts from you. Are you are you liking this Knicks team? Are you I know you had some Jalen Brunson early in the season. What what's going on? Um the theme of this podcast for this episode is a card needs to be able to stand on its own and be understood why it's cool, but maybe a little bit of spoon feeding, understanding why is the ultimate thing to make sure people understand of the factoid or the nuance that makes it cool. And that can be connected with the golden that can be connected with vintage and that can be connected to the next. I don't know what to think of this next team, not to be sports analysis mode, um, they're down 1-0 against the Heat right now. And Heat are in eight seed. Knicks are a five seed, I want to say, because they lost to the four. I believe the Cavs were a four seed. And Mellow stuff is just so – Knicks uniform Mellow stuff is so cool for me. 
Um, most of his stuff is so outside of the price range that I'm comfortable to indulge in that I don't feel great about it. In my belief, the Knicks really have a nine-man rotation and with their best and leading scorer having mental ruts from time to time that causes Obi Toppin to take the four position. Had, hasn't inspired many new collect ventures simply because when the right card is apparent and a must-have for my collection, it usually just points itself out to me. That makes sense. I was expecting you to give me that sort of answer, honestly, but I had nothing to ask. non-answer. Yeah, like okay. a, I, I did not buy any. What you TLDR backs did not has not bought any Knicks cards recently. Jalen Brunson's getting expensive. I don't like to gamble. I am I. This podcast is anything proven. I am a bad sports speculator. Oh yeah. Do not buy my picks. Do not buy, especially basketball. You did have a Jalen Brunson early in the season, though, right? You had like I, a nice cracked I ice. Did. I bought a cracked ice auto contenders auto in the preseason raw. Kind of got lucky, graded it a 10, and I traded that for a Trey Young card in November. And really, I'm just trying to sell high and make sure that I protect myself, but the Jalen Brunson card might be worth a $1,500 to $2,000 card now, and I sold my Trey Young for like 1000 So overall, I did okay on the play. Yeah, I'm not holding myself down and saying, oh, I only made like 600 bucks. That was a dub. Dub, as the kids say, and we take those and go Knicks. Go Knicks. Um, quick update on my Have end. you bought any Warriors? Yeah, that's what I was going to follow up. Uh, I did actually buy a Warriors. I bought a Steph Curry rookie card, numbered rookie card, before the series. So full disclosure, I have been extremely critical of this Warriors team in private outside of this podcast because this podcast is not a sports analysis podcast, so I have not been necessarily thinking they're going to win. I thought that I might have some time at the end of the season uh, to buy some cards after they lost, but I saw our good friend and former guest, uh, Playboy Cards. He posted this Steph Curry uh, pre- just prestige 2009 out of 999. So old-time listeners of the podcast will know that I had a different Steph Curry with the same number or same numbering that I submitted with Max what do you say? The cyan. Yes, the cyan. Light blue. So this set in Prestige 2009, uh, Steph has three different cards, three different pictures. Um, uh, one is him in a Warriors uniform, like normal uniform. One's in the Summer League uniform and one's in his Davidson uniform. So now I have both Warriors uniform out of 999s. Um, one's a PSA 9. This one's raw, but shout out Ryan, shout out Playboy Cards. If you want to go back deep in the archives to listen to his episode, that's a great one to listen to. Um, but no, I, I I bought it for 150 before the series. I told him that he could hang on to it in case they won and try to get 200, but I said I'd be a buyer at 150 and he hooked it up. So shout out Ryan. Um, you know, 150 bucks for a numbered Steph Curry rookie card before the series started. Um, I'm not going to sell it, but, um, that was my recent buy of, buy of Steph recently. Nice. But I kind of now feel like the collect desire to like get the other one, you know, get the third the third out of 999. But I think you like now kind of have to. Yeah, um, right. yeah, we are against cards that have players sign their name on them. I think they're bad value, yeah. bad. And we will collection judge you to an extent. 
to an extent um there was a card in the i'm just gonna hit all my collectible king of collectible thoughts max just to get them all out of the way here yeah, yeah, sure um but there was one where there was like a psa 4 or 5 52 mickey mantle that was a psa 10 autograph and i have voiced this opinion to you before and i just don't know if i've said it on the podcast but I, in terms of in-person vintage autos I actually don't totally mind them all the time, but if the card design has a facsimile, facsimile autograph on it, and then you throw in a real IP auto on top of the facsimile auto, that just is a clusterfuck to my brain. And unfortunately for the 1952 top set, they have that, that fake autograph on it. So adding on a real Mickey Mantle autograph on top of the fake one just is not appealing to my eyes. So this is really interesting, okay? So love of the game auctions... As of last week, I want to say, they took in a massive collection of 1952 tops, PSA graded set. I don't know if it was an entire set or if it was most of a set, all with in-person autographs, which is sick. And that included Mickey Mantle and Jackie Robinson, IP autos from 1952 tops of their first tops cards. That I was reading one of... So this is actually interesting, right? Countering... The point that we're saying some auction houses don't do enough to justify the lot and why something is cool. I learned by reading the mantle lot description, because I wasn't alive for this, that during you know the 70s, 80s, and 90s, people really did not like the idea of getting valuable cards signed and autographed because it would deteriorate the value of the card. And this obviously made more sense when these players were alive and well and healthy so and specifically the more valuable the card was the less likely someone would be inclined to get it signed because it would devalue the card so that specifically made there be even a lower proportion of in-person autographs that are authenticated on facebook cards than would have otherwise been because people were afraid of ironically were afraid of them being devalued um so this auction ended on april 30th at 3.35 a.m., which was two nights ago. Is this a full set listing? Like the full uh, set? No, itself? each individual card was listed and graded, which I know in some auction sites, they have a, I know when I was looking at Mile High, they had, which ended like two or three weeks ago, they had a full 1968 top set. It was like one of the best graded in the world. It was all PS, it was like a 300 card set, all PSA 10s and 15 PSA 9s. And they made it so that they auctioned each card individually. And then they auctioned the set. And whichever aggregate would be higher would be how the set was distributed. And ultimately, I think like the set did 1.1 million before buyer's premium. And individual cards did like a million fifty thousand or million five hundred thousand, something like that. So the set was intact. But these auctions with the 1952 in person autos that ended a few nights ago. They were all individual cards. The mantle was a PSA three with a 10 auto, which possibly is according to what they were contending was possibly the finest graded card of mantle with an IP auto. Tommy, do you want to guess what it ended for? Um, that, so that was basically the same card that was in the dock. Okay. Um, I think they, the appraisal in the show was like 300 to 400,000, I think. So I'd go 500,000. Okay, the PSA 3 Mickey Mantle 1952 tops with a 10 auto grade 
sold for $422,000. Hey, I'm not far off then. Nice. Not far off at all. And the Jackie Robinson, which was just graded authentic with the Fusimile autograph, was sold for $135,000. Interestingly, there's some variation in like how, because I know you were commenting on the Fusimile on how the auto was presented. On yeah. Mantle, it was like a little bit higher on than the Fusimile auto, but on the Jackie, they wrote it vertically on the side. Interesting. Uh, that must have some people's, you know, yeah, they have but, some thoughts on that. Oh my God. If you only collect cards after you were born, I'm sorry. This has been a boring yeah. episode or whatever, but I'm real. But I think all of this attacks the nuances of what we collect today and why. Yes. Um, real quick question before I make us transition to the end here. Yes. Oh my God. We're at the end already. I'm sorry. Modern. I know. Well, we got time at the end. Okay. Real quick. Are there any T206s that are IP autoed? There are very, very few. One, because, yeah, there are very, very few. I want to say there's a few Ty Cobbs in the registry. Fun fact, Ty Cobb only signed in green ink. He'd only sign anything in green ink. That's what I've heard. I don't know if that's true. But one that comes to mind is Hall of Famer Rube Marquard on the New York Giants. He died at age 92, so he had a long, lengthy life which maybe continued spurring him be, to be able to sign some copies. And I believe even there's even a few autos on eBay of Rube Marquardt signing his T206 card. And they aren't very good quality autos and they're not really good quality cards, but even any relic of IP autos of that from the past is so sick. Yeah. Um, I think I talked on the show how I forget if it was Chrissy Mathewson or Walter Johnson. I want to say it was Chrissy Mathewson of how there was like a ball that was like signed of his during like one of his big speeches at the Polo Grounds, you know, before he retired from for what ultimately would be tuberculosis, that like he was illiterate and could barely sign his name. <laughs> so any in-person autograph of him signing his name is so valuable because he barely knew how to sign his name and didn't do it often. I feel oh, like we talked about that. Was... Christy Matthewson, but I think it was Christy Matthewson. I think I, I think so. So funny and cool to me. I feel like that's like the same thing as the Joe Jackson. I just wanted to ask that question yeah. though, because thinking about IP autos and like cards in general, like obviously back in the day, cards weren't that cared about. So if someone was getting something signed back then, they were really ahead of the game. Um, no, but that's cool. I didn't know that there was any T206s signed. I don't think I've ever really seen that. So yeah, just even to like, that how question. do you even get someone's autograph now i mean back in that day it's not like you have a private signing and you send it to them or you go to a card show and you meet them no. um, i know one of my dad's friends my dad was a kid growing up you know he was a kid kid he was born in 1963 growing up in like late 60s early 70s one of his close friends he would like find the players outside the stadium and would get try to get an autograph of them and one of the cool things that he had was a thurman munson autograph and I went to JSA a few months ago and just out of like, he's like, oh, what are these worth? Are they worth anything? I'm like, you got to get them authenticated. You, you told this story. You, but you told the story. Yeah, um, it was originally deemed like likely an autograph, but inconclusive. They looked at it for like three months and then they deemed it authentic. And Thurman, Thurman Munson autographs that just have Thurman Munson's name on it are incredibly rare. Because sometimes if you find his autographs, they're with like the entire... 1977 i think world series team yeah but just to be able to like have that piece and have it in my hand 
and doing whatever I can to say, hey, you keep this in a penny sleeve and top loader. Here, I'll give you one. Rather than just keeping it in a raw vanilla, vanilla, whatever vanilla folder. Manila. Manila folder where I can wear the corner edges. I'm like, oh my God, my hands, my eyes. I'm in pain. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I am but actually... autos are cool. Autos. Sometimes. Yes. I feel like that's, we hate on autos, but really it's just, we are a little bit particular in the autos that we do like. Um, I love signing my name. It makes me feel like John Hancock. <laughs> All right, Max. Pickups. What have you bought recently? What have you sold recently? I know that's kind of been the theme of the whole podcast, but just, let's close it I out with a classic segment. No, reverse card. Tell me about the J.D. Salinger card. You want to hear about the catcher in the rye J.D. Salinger rookie card? So I'm holding up here. Uh, I've talked about this set before, uh, the 2011 Tops American Pie set. Um, they have a certain subset of just book covers. So this is the 1950s one, is the catcher in the rye. Uh, the cover of the card is just the cover of the book. It's numbered out of 76. It's the spotlight parallel, uh, which doesn't really appear very well on the card. So... I understand why they don't really the out of 76 parallel doesn't go for that much of a premium in the set just because they don't really pop that well. It's not that good looking of a card, but you know, I've talked about my author cards. There's not many of them. JD Salinger, a classic recluse definitely does not have any cards with his face on it. Um, so I thought this would be the next best thing. Not my favorite book in high school, but a definitely an iconic Americana novel. So felt like this was something I had to have guess. You want to guess how much this cost me, Max? Uh, what is it numbered out of? 76. What's the foil parallel on that? It's like a... It's really hard to capture in, in a camera, but it's basically like little spotlights. It's like a That's foil. Kind of... with... That's dank, man. Um, I'm going to say 30 bucks. Yep. Pretty much exactly 30 bucks. Um, okay, I don't know if I cheated and I saw that somewhere, but that like that's like the gut, like... It has to be really, really cool on 30 bucks, and Tommy will, inst- will snap by it. Yeah, and I feel like that I've, we've talked about that before. I've, I looked at my recent eBay buys. Seven out of the last eight eBay buys over the last few months have been twenty to twenty-five dollar cards. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like you don't go sub twenty. It has to be like you don't go to the poverty cards. Like they have to have like like it had like you specialize in like the twenty to thirty dollar cards that have the coolness of a sixty to seventy dollar card. Yes, exactly. That's 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 my game. Uh, I'll do a quick update for. My Com C heads have some yes. Com C cells I've had recently. Um, I sold a purple hoops Evan Mobley for three dollars. I sold a 2017 Matt Olson tops base rookie card for one dollar. I sold a oh. Nestor Cortez gold foil 2022 tops update for one dollar. Ah. Um. Oh, you want to guess on these? How sure. much do you yeah. think? How much do you think a uh, Wander Base 2022 Tops Series 1? What is that? $2.12. For? $2 even. Easy money. Um, I sold a 2012 Panini Cooperstown Mordecai Brown Bronze out of $5.99. How do I it's- know that set really well? I'm going to say you got 6 bucks on it. Oh, I wish. I got 2 bucks. That's okay. a good set because it has the... It's like everyone's Hall of Fame plaques. Yeah, I have like a few Casey Stengel foils and numbers from that set that are just rotting in my dollar box. The good thing about that set, though, is like Panini made that in 2012. Like they don't have the license, but those cards are actually pretty cool because like the Hall of Fame busts don't have 
logos. Yeah, and it's not all busts either. It will just have like stuff from the player. Yeah. So uh, pro twenty pro like early twenty tens Panini like Cooperstown base sets. They had some cool stuff in those. Yeah, they had some uh, cool stuff in those. All right, let's hear it, Max. What, what's been okay? On? Um, this um, I'm looking through my eBay sales right now. I just had a big shipping day. I had a mix of like completely worthless kind of base. Some tops now of Mike Trout shouting that I moved because I was parallel hunting. And I think that was the one. Yeah, that was the one I hit the one of one out of. So I'll happily move some at like four bucks each. Um, interesting sale that I think you will find that you will guess the price on. Miguel Sano, first Bowman Chrome Orange Auto. Not graded, bro. Raw. Hundred dollars even. Oh, that would have been cool. Uh he's not even in baseball anymore. Uh fifty bucks. Oh damn. damn. But that was probably like the coolest card, in my opinion, that I moved. And then when one door closes, another one opens. My Chrissy Matthewson T two oh two triple holder that was sitting at PWCC vault and was never even in my hand was Bought it now at full for one thousand one hundred fifty. Hell yeah! So I bought it for seven hundred fifty. eBay fees are like fourteen percent. PWCC outtake fee is like seventeen percent. Excuse me, three percent, three percent. So seventeen percent total. My eBay advertisement fee was two percent, so that's like nineteen. And then given that shipping is like one percent each way, that's like twenty one percent. So even though I sold my item for like. 53% higher than what my original buy-in was. I did the math. I ended up profiting 24% ROI for one month hold, which is phenomenal. Like I'll take that. Like that's like, I'm not complaining about that at all, but it is a little funny to see just like when the fees add up, just where it kind of all goes. But that's like the exhilarating thing about some buy it now is that like it can happen. Like I love, there's like, a, like the other morning, like I go to sleep. I li- like I am halfway through my listings and I'm like, I totally don't want to finish all these right now. I'll do them in the morning, but like I'll upload what I have done now instead of just uploading it all at once. And then like I go to bed and then I wake up at like 8 a.m. And then I see my PSA 10 Tops Chrome Update 2021 Shohei Otani Auto was bought at full and is being shipped to Japan. That's so sick. What an awesome way to wake up. Um, yeah. you, get, you get one more fun one, and then I'm showing you. Oh, no. So this Matthewson similarly had like three watchers, was up listed for a month, and I woke up this morning, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's old. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> you just never know, man. You never yeah, know. and uh, a cool card that I own right now that I bought this fast. Actually, no, two cool cards. Fuck you, Tommy. Um, This is maybe – a really cool piece. Shohei Otani, purple, sapphire, PSA 10, rookie cup. I traded my red sapphire Acuna rookie cup PSA 9 for that and one other card. And it's I'm glad I was able to, I think, what? What was the other one? It was a Bowman's Best Performers Ronald Acuna gold. Nice. But I think it's go. This is actually kind of crazy. It's going to a guy who I've never interacted with before. I want to make sure I get his handle right. Um, and okay, it's Chris M at Giant underscore Spacebook, which is not a hobby name that I knew before this. And 
I was looking through his feed, and I think he specifically collects 2019 Sapphire low-numbered rookie cup parallels. And that's so sick. I respect Wait, that. Repeat, repeat the name for me. He uh, To my knowledge, I, mean, I didn't have a formal conversation with him. He collects 2019 Topps Chrome Sapphire parallel rookie cups that are low-numbered. But what was his at? Uh, at giant underscore Facebook on Twitter. Damn, that's a pretty sick, super low key account. And I see his feed. It's like he has the he has a sapphire red Otani. He's looking for a sapphire orange. He traded me one of the purples. He acquired a Yakuna red, and I'm like, wow, I respect the collect moment out of this. This is he cool. was also ripping 1999 Skybox EX or whatever that set's called, which is pretty crazy set to be ripping nowadays. That's yeah, pretty yeah. dope. I, I love super low key Twitter account. Super low key. There's never, there's nothing better than making like a four figure trade with a dude with less than a hundred followers on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, no, that's always like surprising. And then uh, I'm not a, you know me, I'm not a sign his name guy, but I bought the, I mean, I'm going to flip this so it's not too crazy, but it's a Patrick Mahomes 27 prestige auto. Was that a certified auto or is that a in person? Uh, certified. And cool. I don't know. I hate to sound like so cliche of like, Oh, there's so many cards that like I never thought I'd own, and like, oh, if you make it, and like, blah 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 blah. But like that, like moment never like gets stale for me. I mean, like a Patrick Mahomes rookie auto is cool. It's my I don't do too much football, but that's my first Mahomes auto of any type, let alone a rookie auto. I'm literally slinging Ty Cobb's and Judge Heritage rookie autos. I'm so grateful. I'm so I love it so much. I love cardboard and. Mm-hmm. I will never not love cardboard. And I'm always astonished of what I have the privilege of being able to possess in my hands. That, that hits, that hits deep, uh, Max. You, I feel like I'm and so- I love that I'm able to share it with all of you guys. And I love to get to share it with everyone else. And I hope my joy is infectious. Never forget though, that this podcast started with Max talking about how he would be, how his strategy for getting pennies on the dollar for tops now flipping. And how that was brought up in this own very podcast where I sold Mike Shrouts for three ninety eight that I'm into for three bucks. And in that DGen for fun parallel grinding, I like hit a one of one. There you go. And episode fifty, we've done fifty one of these now. I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to sum up in words how fun this has been and like how fun it's been to like talk with people who listen and like yeah i remember uh tommy uttered the words do you want to start a podcast with me and my response was yeah as long as you do all the production <laughs> hey i've, I've held up my side I oh, you, like have. you have and you i hope i've held up mine as well we've done it we've done it if 50 episodes in it's pretty crazy i mean the next 50 i'm sure will be even more shenanigans than the last 50 but shenanigans and formalities yes um I'm glad that this one, you know, we've had a couple guests the last couple weeks, but we'll always be just me and you talking shit, talking about what's up, talking two about star rating. two star rating. Also, last note that's like completely off topic. If anyone knows how to like store this motherboard of a slab that looks like it's just like it's not as big of a dinner plate as the Wander Franco jumbo size when I'm holding up the T206 strip holders. I have no idea how to store this thing without getting scratched. Yeah. Or like giving it a card condom because I'm sorry, this is just it's just too big. It's just too many inches. It doesn't fit in the normal card condom. 
So any any pro tips and tricks, and we'll yeah, I will listen. Tommy, I feel like we have to go live on one of these episodes one day and have like yeah, a we will. We will. episode one hundred. That's fun. That is fun, and I think the closing remarks is to be card grateful and to enjoy everything that life enjoy, goes. Enjoy everything. Don't slide into Laura Golden's DMs. I have never. Don't do it. <laughs> All right. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you next week for episode 51. Peace. Be hard grateful.